I, I think one of the easiest ways to do that is to have empathy, to say, I understand what you're going through. I understand your struggle. We were frustrated with this problem. That's why we created this product or service. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven, and eight-figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven-figure exit, and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's sponsor is Eva, the best AI repricer for Amazon profits. Private label sellers, are you wasting your cash? Eva reprices your products for you, and the result is up to 50% more profits. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers in the USA and is now out for British and European sellers as well. For a 15-day free trial, go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash E-V-A. Ladles and jelly spoons, boys and girls, welcome back to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place to be for six, seven and eight figure Amazon private label and custom product sellers, a subset of the amazing FBA suite of podcasts for Amazon sellers. My name is Michael Vesey. I'm your host. And today we are talking all about storytelling for marketers. Much talked about, seen as important, but is it really? Is there any validation or is that just an idea? And if so, what do we do about that fact? How do we actually implement that as busy business owners. Today, we're talking with Seth Erickson from Storify Agency and their experts in authority building and brand building, a perfect person to answer these tricky and important questions. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Excellent. So first of all, storytelling and brand building, what do you even mean by that? Let's start by defining our topic here. Sure. So storytelling is essentially storytelling. We tell stories, we help our customers use storytelling as opposed to yelling or shouting at their customers to try to grab their attention. We teach our customers how to tell effective stories so that people want to sit down and listen to what you have to say, as opposed to going, okay, this guy's just talking at me. And so the idea is that we help our customers bring their customers into that story, put them at the center of that story and really make it about the customer and not so much about the company. And so for instance, you can probably visit any one of the thousands of websites and you'll see a company that just talks about themselves and how great they are and how all the awards they've won or how great their customer service is or whatnot. And that's really a conversation about the company that the company is having about themselves. And so we're working with our customers to have the conversation that is telling a story about their customer and how their customer can experience their brand, their product, their service. And so it's really a kind of a change in focus on how we do that. And then the branding uh, side of it is just really understanding what type of company you are, what is your tone, how do you speak, what is your personality? That all is baked into the story as well, because we all have the crazy uncle who's got the fantastic stories or the crazy friend, and they tell a story very differently than somebody else you might know. And so it's not only having a story, but it's also how do you tell that story? What is the tone and the words that you use to, to convey those ideas? I like it. Yeah. I, by the way, the crazy uncle thing, I, I think I, I fulfill that role for my nephew and niece. I, I don't have kids, so that I, all I get to be is an uncle when it comes to family and small kids. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Um, the way you speak as a person is so characteristic. And the way you tell stories, we all know people who can tell a joke and kill it flat. Uh, and other people who tell the most terrible joke and it makes you laugh, even though you don't want to. 
And so you're right. And yet, as businesses, we have this bad habit of, I think, I would say, creating a rather sort of characterless, toneless communication, if we're not careful, that we just take somebody else's tone. So it tends to vary between, hello, we've been established since 1878, probably British businesses maybe falling into that, and going, oh my God, this is super awesome, boom, boom. And then that's just unbearable as well. And if you're unfortunate to be in internet marketing, then uh, you get a heck of a lot of, of content like that or adverts. I get, get so many adverts on YouTube that are unbearable <laughs> because I've been misfortunate enough to click on somebody's website once. So yeah, I hear what you're saying on that. So now let's really dig into the question of the difference between storytelling and marketing, or, or is there one? Let's ask that. Some marketing uses storytelling, but not all marketing uses storytelling. And so the, the difference is that a story really is about creating the hero's journey for your customer. Whereas a lot of marketing tends to fall into either they're like trying to use psychological tricks by now and do this thing and whatnot. And in that you can use storytelling, but a lot of times you just get a website or an ad or whatever with a lot of copy that really isn't saying anything interesting. And that's, that also goes back to the, the personality aspect, right? One of the things that we talk about when it comes to branding is if your brand doesn't have a personality, you, you really don't have a brand, you have a company and you have a logo, but those there's no brand around that. So the point being, yes, marketing does use storytelling. They just don't use it all the time. There was an interesting stat that I, that I saw recently fast company did it was some research fast company did. And, and they said on average, we'll see over a hundred thousand digital words a day, but most people don't feel, I think 92% of the people that they talked to in the survey said that they didn't feel like they were getting stories from the brands that they were following and they wanted more stories. So right there is a perfect example of like how there's lots of words everywhere all around us and yet we're not getting stories through those words so story is essentially a pattern that that you follow and the most well-known one is the hero's journey and there's other ones a problem and solution what, what i would call the late night infomercial are you tired of having your family attacked by raccoons Buy raccoon off and somebody sitting there going yes my family got attacked by raccoon so that that is a form of, of storytelling, parables, idioms. So these are all, these are shorter forms of story, right? They don't necessarily follow the hero's journey. Exactly. We don't have a, the hero goes from the ordinary world to the, like all this stuff that Joseph Campbell laid out, but, but there are ways that you can bake a story in, into what you're doing. But most of the time in marketing, people are just telling, they're just saying, here's what the product A does. It has these features, these benefits, and they're just spouting up facts and information and that's it there's no story there yeah and it's interesting what you were saying about hundred thousand words a day that we read digital that's a lot of reading by the way we're all obviously fast readers these days uh, and i guess they might be in the form of video or something else or audio on a podcast but there is something quite exhausting about that barrage particularly if you're on the end of internet info marketers trying to sell you business opportunities trust me guys you don't want to be on their email lists either but i somehow find that relaxing and i guess the difference between the barrage of information that i find hard to deal with and then the story is there's something psychologically different which really brings us to this area that i want to dive into with you now which is something you're you've dived into to a level that i've not come across with anyone else in the space which is the neuroscience of storytelling mm -hmm. so tell me a bit about so why do i have this psychological need for story and yet i have this distaste for being barraged a bunch of facts at me. Why is there that different reaction? There's a whole bunch of things that go into that, but the gist is that because story acts as a pattern, it's a pattern that the brain understands. Whereas all the noise 
right? All the data comes to your brain like noise in your brain. I don't want to have to spend all this time organizing this and trying to understand what's going on. Just get, just feed me, just spoon feed it to me in the way that I like to have it done, which is really storytelling. Essentially, from an anthropological standpoint, the reason that our brains are basically hardwired for story was because that is how we passed information from person to person, generation to generation. Before we had paintings, before we had alphabets, we had to know, okay, do this in the wintertime, do this in the summertime. Eat this thing, don't eat that thing. It was a, It's basically a survival mechanism. People from the Stone Age basically told stories to one another as a way to pass information to make sure that the next generation lived and went on. You could get into the question of, was this an adaption to our environment or were we always like this? It really doesn't matter because what neuroscience is telling us is that we are like this. So there's a lot of different things that, that are happening. And I feel like I, I got on a little bit of <laughs> a run here and I forgot your question. No, <laughs> I that's apologize. Cool. I think you're answering the question of why do I feel like that? Or why do we need stories, not facts? And you just, you said it's because that's how we pass on information. So there's some part of the brain that can deal with information in the form of a story when it can't deal with it in another format by the sound of it. What is that? What are the next sort of implications of that <laughs> in terms of the neuroscience of storytelling? Because we're, we're going to talk separately about how to implement, because lots of people out there telling you how to do marketing. But what I think is different about your approach is, is you're basing it on a, an, an inquiry into neuroscience. I don't know if you've actually got a neuroscience qualification, but that's not relevant. And the, the point is that you're connecting the dots here. What are the other takeaways? So going back to what you were saying about the facts and whatnot from the brain scans, and there's a lot of them, we can see that when somebody gives you facts or figures, only two parts of your brain light up. It's the Brocus area and the Wernicke's area for anybody who wants to get super nerdy into that stuff. But essentially it's hearing and comprehending what you're hearing. That's it. That's all that we're getting. But when you, when people see stories, read stories, have stories told to them up to seven different parts of the brain light up. And I don't want to try to say what they all are because I'll, I'll butcher them. Like one of them's like really complicated to say, but so essentially what's happening is when those seven parts of the brain light up, what your brain is doing is creating a simulation to give you an example of like how this works. So let's say you're watching a movie and have you ever watched a movie and thought to yourself, what would I do in this situation? All right? the time. Yeah. Especially yeah. The, the flip side is imagining that you would act in a way that you've done well at some level you wouldn't so that's why james bond's so popular and i probably wouldn't right. want to go around killing people but getting to drive really fast cars and sleep with beautiful women with no kind of social consequences <laughs> right. seems really cool so i'm already simulating being in there and i'm <laughs> sure that millions of men do as well otherwise they wouldn't sell so many at the box office yeah so that is the simulation that's taking place and so that's the seven different parts of your brain are all lighting up your visual cortex is lighting up, your motor functions are lighting up, your hearing is lighting up. So all those pieces are coming together to create a simulation. And that's why like when people watch movies, sometimes they're like, it's been two hours already? Because they were just in the simulation, right? Like they're like totally engaged in it. And the reason that we do that is because our brain is trying to figure out answers to what to what we would do in that situation. Another example might be like, think of your favorite teacher and in school, you would start going back through a mental Rolodex and you would say, oh, it was Miss So-and-so. And when you're doing that, you're essentially creating the simulation and pulling back the memory from that situation. Like, oh, it was this teacher, they taught this subject and it was really great. And they look like this or they sounded like this or whatever. That's part of that simulation. So the idea is that we want to tell stories so that we can tap into the simulation and tap into more of the brain. When more parts of the brain are engaged, you're odds of being remembered are much better, right? Somebody can tell you a story 
and you can easily take that story and go tell somebody else. So it has a, a little bit of a viral content <laughs> to it, but you can remember most of the story pretty well because it came in that format. Whereas, you know, if the story is not interesting or whatever, like you're going to have a hard time remembering it because some people, the way they like, for instance, talk about their day, what'd you do today? Oh, I went to the store. I bought some eggs. I got some milk, right? They're just giving you a, but if they say, I went to the store today and I got hit by a car, then you're going, wait, what happened? You got hit by a car right now. You're engaged in that story because there's something interesting going on and the brain's going, whoa, whoa, whoa let's yeah, figure this out. That brings you to the point really of, of, I guess, the art of storytelling versus the fact being the intrinsically interesting. I went to the store, bought some eggs, pretty boring. I went to the store, got hit by a car. Unless you happen to get hit by a car, in which case maybe going to be telling the story very immediately afterwards. Maybe it's two <laughs> days later or two weeks. But I went to the score and you, you'll never guess who I saw there. Who? Oh, it's that so-and-so. What? She's showing her face around here. I thought she ran off with that guy's wife. And so there's the, the sort of personalities that get involved. And so, so there's the art of being emotionally engaging. So a store is, is a place, an egg is just an object, whereas a person could be a, a social threat or they could be socially attractive or, or, or somebody you secretly wish to be, but also want to judge at the same time. There's lots of things go on there with that. So how important is um, having people in stories and how do we, how, how does that tie into the neuroscience? Are we sticking with that for them? As far as people, I, we don't necessarily need people in stories. There's the con concept of anthrop anthropomorphizing. I always have a hard time say, saying that word. So Aesop's fables, for instance, it's all animals. There's, there's rarely people. It's usually the fox did this, the bear did that. So you need some sort of character, right? And that character can be anything as long as you give it a personality and, and whatnot. And so from the product standpoint, some people do a great job of describing their products almost as if they're like people, right? And creating their the brand around that. So that's one way to think about it. We talked off air about the significant objects project, and those are all basically inanimate objects that somebody wrote a story about. Quite often though, in those stories, there are people involved. And so I think that's what makes the connection because it's more human that way, but it doesn't have to be that way. It's just, you want to tell them a story that's interesting, that's engaging, that has some level of emotion to it. So I think that answers the question. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So I guess you're saying character is distinct from people, but sometimes uh, we can almost make a thing, a character, if you're skilled enough. I, I imagine that it takes a more skilled marketer to make an object more engaging than people. But the Significant Objects project, by the way, which, yeah, we did, when you mentioned it, I had a look. It's at significantobjects.com, folks, if you want to have a look at it. Fascinating because I believe that they got, what is it, a couple of hundred people bought a objects for about $1.25 each or something. Mm -hmm. They sold for about $8,000. So I don't know what that increases. I like some 10x, 20x, 30x markup it, in, as in 300% or 3,000% or 30,000. Ridiculous markup in value based on the story that was attached to them. Now, do you think that was just a kind of hipster, fashionable kind of story to tell because it would make a good bit of journalism? Or do you think that's profound truth or, or somewhere in between? Yeah, so they they specifically did that project to prove out a financial benefit to storytelling. And the other interesting thing about it too is they told the people who bought those objects that the stories were fake. They didn't mislead them. They were like, here's a story about this thing. A lot of things, like you said, bought it for about a buck twenty-five, sold around twenty dollars, eighteen to twenty dollars. But one of the biggest ones was actually a it was like a globe about the size of your fist that was in a acrylic 
uh, plastic mold. And that thing sold for like a hundred something. And so it was the fact that people felt connected to those objects because, because of the stories that were being told, even though the stories weren't real. And that's one of the other fascinating things about storytelling is they've done a bunch of research where they tell people a story. And then afterwards they tell them that the story is not true, but people still hold on to the story because the information was inserted in the pattern that the brain understood and said, this is a story. So <laughs> this is how I understand. So it, so that actually ties into that. So the, yeah, but with the significant objects pro project, it was specifically designed to prove out that storytelling could increase the value of an object. Yeah, it's fascinating. I, I find it's a very pure kind of form of experiment. I, I really like that fact that it's such a stark contrast. So I guess all that added value in between people sometimes talk about brand equity, right? And one of the meanings of that I understand is really the amount of money you can get for an object over and over above the sort of commodity value of it. A Nike mm -hmm. trainers prices, if it's whatever, $70, then it's probably like a $20 trainer and $50 is for the branding and work and decades long <laughs> reputation building they've done, right? Mm -hmm. This is how powerful this is, but you can always speculate that's not the case. It's quite a pure kind of experiment. Now let's talk about the difference. One of the differences between sort of facts and weaving together some kind of narrative. Another thing is obviously the difference between sort of intellectual stimulus versus emotional engagement. So how does the neuroscience of storytelling work when it comes to the emotional element? Ah, that's a good question. There's actually several points I could make about emotion. I think the most salient point is that without emotion, we don't take action. Like we often think that we're very rational in the way that we're approaching things, but really what's happening is we are saying, I feel good about this purchase, this decision. And then we rationalize it after the fact. And we say, here's why I bought that thing. But in reality, the decision is being made in the subconscious and we're going, I feel good about this, or I don't feel good about this. So I'm going to make a, make a purchase or not make a purchase. So emotion also pushes things from short-term to long-term memory. So that's why you have a traumatic experience. You can relive it and remember it forever or a really positive experience. You can recall that day that this, you won the thing or whatever the situation, if there's a lot of emotion tied to that situation, it will then, it'll move it from your short-term memory into your long-term memory, and then you'll be able to access it. So one of the things that we talk with our, our customers about is like, how can we bring some emotion into the story that we want to tell? That emotion could be, it could be joy, happiness, it could be empathy, it could be frustration, anger, not to get too far into the weeds, but you can see how politics, both sides, everybody uses this thing where they, they get everybody fired up and then they, they're angry and they're upset. And then what does that do? It makes them want to go out and vote and take action to to, to get this person or that person, it doesn't matter what your leaning is. Everybody seems to do it. And, and they're, it's basically, they're creating a narrative about how this person's right. And that person's bad. And yeah, it, it yeah, all ties the, together. Some of the worst sort of demagogues of, of the ages, even though I guess the word demagogue means something like good at rabble rousing. Some of, some of the worst dictators in history, some of the worst politicians, and we all have different ideas who those are, but are, are very good at rousing emotion. Um, in a way that feels almost dangerous, but I'm not standing back from that as marketers. We've got to recognize it's actually extremely powerful to rouse emotion. Sadly, anger seems to be pretty big in politics, in on all sides <laughs> of politics, and not just recently, although I guess quite a lot recently in somehow, yeah, I don't know if it's, if it's ever been any different really, but it, it's certainly 
it's a powerful uh, example, as you say, and we have to, I guess, what well, I suppose we need to embrace that uh, power, don't we? How do we apply emotional storytelling in a responsible way as marketers? It almost feels like there's something very dark going on there. I, I don't really want to go out and say, you're going to die unless you use our product. And you do get adverts like that, particularly in the American yes, space. Yeah, Brits are a bit yeah. more skeptical than that. But how, <laughs> do, how do we avoid becoming that sort of person without leaving the power of emotion at the side of the table as well? Yeah. So that's a great question. I, I think one of the easiest ways to do that is to have empathy, to say, I understand what you're going through. I understand your struggle. We were frustrated with this problem. That's why we created this product or service. In that case, you're showing empathy and saying, I understand you as opposed to going buy this or else. So that's one of the ways that we try to do it. Sometimes you do need to punch up a story and you need, and, and how you do that is you basically say life could be like this if you used our product, but it might be like this if you don't use our product. So you're using, uh, I'm sure you're probably familiar with the term future pacing. What might your life look like if you had our product or service? How much easier would your life be? How much less frustration would you have? Be, have? So in that, we can talk about, we can talk about emotion, but we don't necessarily have to charge the person up with emotion. And you're right. There is a, to go back to your earlier point, there is a dark side of storytelling, which I specifically left out of the book because and I had several people ask me about it and I was like, I, I really don't want to give the children dynamite. Just, I, I don't think people need to know that, but I will touch on it briefly to say that propaganda is a form of storytelling and I, it generally is used to manipulate and cults quite often use storytelling to create the story about the aliens that live in the, the comet <laughs> that we're all going to go up and meet, right? That is a form of storytelling used to affect what people's thoughts and emotions and feelings and Obviously, it's not good. So there is a dark side to it. But yeah, like you don't have to try to manipulate people with a story. And I find that like storytellers who do try to manipulate people that way are disingenuous because they're coming in with a, an ulterior motive or as opposed to businesses that are ethical that are like, I just, we just want to help you. So there is storytelling can be used for manipulative pur purposes. And so obviously that's no bueno. <laughs> it comes down to from what you're saying, if you choose certain emotion like empathy versus anger I, I guess you're going to have a very different response and it strikes me that a lot of politics does major on anger on both sides you know right or left wing if that's even a, a meaningful distinction these days but certainly all sorts of different types of politicians use anger a huge amount and often a lot of political pr discourse particularly on facebook degenerates into anger and that's probably one way to get attention and get engagement that we don't want but but the opposite uh, extreme, just one last question on the neuroscience, and then we'll wrap this one up and move on to the how do we actually implement this piece. But final question on this, I was, uh, a lot of stuff feels like it doesn't have emotion behind it, because if you're making a business-like decision, for example, if you're trying to sell your products to, let's say you're a, business, a brand owner, you develop private label or, or custom products, you own the IP, and you want to start selling it to medium box or even big box retailers. You want to sell 100,000 units, a quarter to Walmart or somebody smaller. It's tempting to say, oh, that's just a business decision. That's going to be based on the numbers and a rational analysis, storytelling and emotion don't come into it. Is that true in your opinion? Or is there still an element of emotion and story? That's a great question because, so we work with startups a lot. And what quite often happens is the startup will come in and they'll start wanting to lay, lay out the business case for why somebody should fund their startup. And what we do is we say, no, 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 start with the story. Why do I start with the story? Isn't the numbers that what matter? Yes, the numbers matter, but it's an order of operations thing. By telling a story, you're getting them interested in your idea 
or the problem that you want to solve or the company that you are, then when they're interested, then they're going to want to know the numbers. But if you come in with numbers, then they're just going to be like, okay, and whatever, because you're not engaging them. Like you think you're engaging them because again, a lot of people have this uh, misconception. I talk about in the book, how Plato used the analogy of the chariot and how he thought that the chariot's being pulled by two horses. One is uh, ration and the other are the rational side. The other is the emotional side. And it's the rational side that we should be all focused on, but that's not how it works. That's not how neuroscience is showing us that we make decisions. So we have this mis misconception that it's all about the numbers. I will say that certain personalities definitely are going to lead more towards the rational or the numbers side of things, but that's not all personalities. And generally all humans like stories or are drawn into stories. So I like you said, if you want to move a hundred thousand products and you want to sell to Walmart or something like you need to go in with some sort of problem that you're solving and tell the story about the problem that you're solving and why your product is, is the right fit for that. And then after that, you can talk about how many units you're moving, what the cost per unit is and all that stuff, but you got to engage them or get them engaged with you where you're at. When you look at the startup entrepreneurs who are now very big, but who got good at raising funding at some level, whoever it is, Jeff Bezos or Steve Jobs mm -hmm. or whatever, they were master storytellers actually. And they're very, all very good at creating a narrative which is another word people use sometimes right. darkly is to sort of become a sort of political weapon to hit people over the head with it's a narrative about X, meaning it's fake or made up or it's not quite correct or whatever. But the truth is it's, yeah, it's a story. And is it right, wrong? I don't know, but it's engaging. And um, mm -hmm. people read about it. They read about the lives of billionaires, partly because of the stories that we tell ourselves about billionaires. By the way, when I ask that question, I'm like, I know what my answer is, but I just wanted your take on it. My, my experience of entrepreneurs is they're just as driven by emotion as anyone else. The numbers have a different meaning for them, but they tell themselves a story about the numbers, right? Particularly about revenue. Revenue is just, a, I'm sorry, but it's just a story made of numbers. If you sell on Amazon, you don't even get to touch the revenue. It never even touches your bank account. It, it's just a really boring story told in numbers, but it's, it's not real. The real stuff's in your bank account. That's the cash flow. That's the story I'm mm -hmm. telling about it. Anyway, so listen, we, we could talk for ages about the neuroscience. I find it very interesting indeed, but I'm a very nerdy analytical kind of guy. And, and I find it a nice underpinning of an assertion that people make. Storytelling is really important for marketing. This gives it a bit of a more scientific underpinning. And I really mm -hmm. like that. We'll talk in our next episode about um, some more practical, tactical ways of how do we actually implement this? What does this imply? But for the moment, just tell us a bit more about what you do over at Storify. What do you offer people? <laughs> Yeah. So we, we essentially do storytelling, brand building. We help you build your brand by creating a story and defining who, who your brand is essentially as a person. And along with that, we do copywriting websites, applications, things like that. Obviously you need additional things to support <laughs> your story and have some place to put it. But I, I would say that's the, the short version of what we do. I just say, um, the nobody cares how the sausage is made. Most startups get excited about their tech is neat, but it doesn't tell the customer how you're solving their problem. Yeah. And you're right. Particularly startups, like the number of startup uh, entrepreneurs have had on their program is, is just tons and tech companies, I should SAS. And some of them have got extremely clear. Most of them, if they come on a podcast, by definition, they've clarified their message to the point where they've managed to get through the sort of filters we have. Otherwise, I'll just go, I don't understand how this makes sense for my audience. But you're right. People tend to focus on the widget, not the way it helps people. Even that primitive thing right, of benefits, sell, features, tell, even that basic mm -hmm. thing, which is not as sophisticated as the storytelling stuff you're talking about. 
even there, people fall down all the time. We get very product centered, don't we? Yeah, it's really important to have people who can stand back from your operations and go, yeah, but why are you doing that? And why the hell should anyone care? And and it feels um, hard to justify that money sometimes. All I can say is that I, I have seen businesses transformed by going through that stuff. I, I think particularly if you've got operations, you probably should be, you're probably going to be lousy at marketing because people are normally good at one or the other. <laughs> if you're great at marketing, you probably need to go and get a bookkeeper right now. From my experience, I'm just saying. So what you mentioned also a, a book. So tell us a bit more about this book. That's, that sounds very exciting. Yeah. So the book is called How to Hack Humans, Storytelling for Startups. Um, the short version is it's it's broken up into three parts. One is the first part is essentially talking about the neuroscience and connecting the dots together for you there. The second part is really understanding what is the recipe to tell a good story and what are the different types of stories that you can tell. We hit on a few of these things in the conversation. And the third part is the uh, section I call steal my stuff. Like I go through and explain how to write it, use storytelling in emails, how to write, how to do storytelling on your website. And I have like a Mad Libs template in there that people can use to get them started. And yeah, I try not to hold too much stuff back. The book's $7.99. It's on Amazon. Um, you can get it in Kindle and paperback and hardcover even. And hopefully in the next month or so, the audiobook will be done. It's all recorded. It's being edited. And I read the book. So I don't know nice. if that's good or bad. <laughs> no, I think for business books, I think I, I'm always keen. I'm always slightly disappointed personally when I come across an author who's out the, deputized out the selling, uh, the storytelling of his own book or her own book. Because I always mm -hmm. feel like um, for business books, not the same for fiction. There's a very highly skilled to put a, a story across that's a full-on fiction story. But I think if you're learning from a person, normally it's because you want to get to know that person. Yeah, I'm personally glad to hear that you're doing that speaking. Also, very smart to have the audiobooks. So many people I know listen to a lot of audiobooks for business books because they yeah. love business books, but they don't find they have the time to just literally stand and read. So that's great. And we've got a free chapter on offer for listeners or watchers of the podcast if you go to storifyagency.com forward slash amazing you get a free chapter which is very cool and i also understand every chapter's got a song on spotify is that right yes yeah i'm i'm a big music guy and i thought to myself if a movie can have a soundtrack why can't a book have a soundtrack so yeah each chapter has uh, a song that goes with it the song either captures the feel or the vibe of the chapter or it relates in some way to what I'm talking about in that chapter. And so if you want to find that on Spotify, just search How to Hack Humans, it'll come up. And then if you want to check it out on YouTube, it's How to Hack Humans book, I think is the correct search query for that. Excellent. That sounds really fun. I like the idea of a book with its own soundtrack. That's definitely uh, up my street. So we're going to talk next about how to implement storytelling principles in, in e-commerce marketing. But for now, just give people a chance to absorb everything we said. Many thanks, Seth, for sharing. Uh, yeah, all your you. thoughts about that uh, new neuroscience of storytelling. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.